Make more birdies. A bottle of bourbon, a little glass, and some ice. This is not a tip. This is a prescription. Trust me. Mm. If you don't, you will fall out of bounds. Welcome to Birdies and Bourbon. Sit down and have a sip. Welcome back, everybody, to the Birdies and Bourbon Show. Um, we've got a treat today. We're going to be uh, sampling. I may have already had a sample of Virginia Distillings. Uh, I believe it's your second release of your single malt. I do think. And we've got uh, we've got Amanda Beckwith, Education Manager for Dis- uh, Virginia Distilling, on with us. So thanks so much for uh, for sharing a pour. Thanks for coming on to educate us a little about the distillery and what you guys are up to in Virginia. So Amanda, how are you? Hi, I'm great. It's nice to be here, and it's great to be talking all things whiskey. There you go. Uh, that it is. It's a good way to, um, uh, well, I won't date us, but it's a good way to finish off on Monday, right, at, uh, at happy hour. So uh, so, so we're going to talk about American single malt. And for those that may, uh, that may not be going or they haven't elected to go down the single malt uh, road yet, um, if, if you haven't, you definitely should. There's a lot of good things happening in the U.S. right now. Uh, I believe, didn't I just read an article that they're, the classification for American single malt is, is advancing? And, and what's the, well, I said no curveballs in here. I am throwing one uh, right, up, right off Jump Street. But what, what's the status of that? And, and where do you see that going if you want? And then we'll get into Virginia distilling and all, but just kind of set the stage. Absolutely. Well, as founding members of the American Single Malt Commission, this is something we've been working towards for a long time with some of our amazing brother and sister single malt distilleries here. And we got great news. We are expecting a ruling in December of this year. And so we've put forth um, some things that we think would protect the category and protect the consumer as well. So we're really excited that we've finally made so much traction. And uh, it's an exciting time. Very cool. Yeah, and, and legislation and such, so you know, is involved. So I'm sure it's not a, it's not going to be a quick change, but at least you've kind of got the nod of, hey, it's it's not just that it's a good idea; it's something we need to move forward with and find you a place on the shelf, right? So, so good, uh, good, good things to come, and excited to hear about uh, hear about this. Uh, this is the advance. So enough about that, about the legalese and and whiskey. Let's Cal- talk Cal- about. For a second, Cal, I still don't believe you read an article. <laughs> hey, maybe there were pictures. Okay, maybe maybe pictures and uh, and I put two and two together. Just it could, it could be possible. So well, so let's let's uh, you you want to share? You want to tell us everybody what we're going to be drinking first, or do you? Yeah, let's do that, and then we'll get into uh, who is Virginia Distilling. How about that? Love it. Yeah. So the first thing that we're drinking right now, it's our Courage and Conviction American Single Malt. It's made from 100% malted barley. So when we're talking single malt, the single refers to the fact that it's distilled and aged at a single place. So it's all right here in Livingston, Virginia. And of course, the mash bills nice and easy, just barley. It's my favorite grain. And uh, this has been a labor of love. We started to distill in 2015. And our motto was, we let the whiskey tell us when it's ready. So we finally released our first expression uh, last year, April 2020. And batch one sold out pretty quickly. So we're now, I'm working on batch four, believe it or not, which is insane. So, yeah. (laughs) So so the first year, then that was a give or take a five-year, a five-year single malt. Is that kind of where we were? Yeah, most of the distillate that we have right now that's been bottled is about four years, four years and three months. Uh, that seems to be the range. Gotcha. And again, you're not necessarily looking for any, uh, you're not trying to get to an age statements. It's when 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 do we hit the barrel and when does it say it, I, I need to be in a bottle kind of scenario, right? I think my biggest learning curve starting with this distillery was it's not a level playing field. So one year of aging in Virginia is nothing like time in Scotland or Ireland um, or even other parts of the U.S. I think that's why I love single malt so much. It gives you a real sense of place. And uh, the climate in Virginia is totally different and it really impacts the whiskey in a big way. So yeah, no predetermined ages. We just uh, evaluate each barrel on its own. Yeah. So if you want to elaborate on that a little and, and, you know, given the, uh, you know, the heart of the Blue Ridge Mountains, right. And, and obviously you've got, uh, you can look at the calendar and, maybe speculate on what the temperature is going to be and what's going to happen. But you want to share a little about maybe some personal experiences, right? I mean, what, what do you see from the distillery? And then I guess you can kind of push that into how you guys are storing in your, in your barrel facility and, and that kind of. 
Absolutely. Yeah. So we have a running joke. It doesn't matter if you're going to Scotland in January or July, you can pack the same suitcase, but uh, I take a whole backpack of, of clothing to, to work with me every day. <laughs> I have some outfits to change into already on my desk. And uh, part of that is, you know, in the highlands of Scotland in particular, you see, you know, 45 degrees Fahrenheit pretty much year round. There are little fluctuations, but on average, you can see a two to three variance within a day. That's it. Wow. Um, Virginia is nothing like that. <laughs> barrels have seen negative four degrees and 108 degrees. Wow. We can see 40, 50, 60 degree variants in 24 hours. So this is a massive temperature swing. And something that uh, one of my mentors, Dr. Jim Swan, said is Virginia is a four season subtropical climate and something <laughs> I didn't infer appropriately with the subtropical was humid. And uh, I had to learn that in a big way. So we have cask houses that are, our first one was dunnage style. So it's kind of built into a hillside and we quickly outgrew that and converted it to our bottling hall. And uh, now we have two large metal clad cask houses where we uh, palletize predominantly, but we do a little bit of the Solera style for our sherry casks, which is kind of fun to play around with. But um, for us, Using just the, the data that we have right now, we have massive pockets of humidity. We have big fluctuations even inside the buildings. We don't temperature control. So uh, these barrels get a workout because in hot weather, barrel staves expand and soak up whiskey. And in cold weather, they contract and push it back out. So if you're talking the old world, it's spring, summer, fall, winter. But if you're talking right here in Livingston, Virginia, it could be multiple times in one day. Very cool. Sure. Yeah, and, and all throughout the year, exactly. right? So there's not necessarily uh, you're expecting one thing versus the other. Um, so you mentioned barrels. Uh, I think is everything coming in? A, are you using any new barrels or is everything uh, you're reusing? So we have experimented with a very small selection of new oak. I prefer using used oak. Uh, one of my friends calls it the gentle durum because, you know, by law, bourbon has to age in new tarred oak and uh, that has a lot of tannins. When they're done with those barrels, typically they would ship them to Scotland, but it's a lot more economical and green to ship it one state over. So we, we have roughly 50% of our whiskey aging in former bourbon casks. And so um, actually... Of this right here, the the bourbon cask, we just released line extensions this spring, showcasing the three different types of barrels we focus on to age our single malt. And the bourbon cask tastes nothing like bourbon. Um, it's much more delicate because since the harsher tannins have been removed from those barrels in their first use, there's no masking of the esters from fermentation or the malt character itself. And I really like that. So it's a much more delicate, nuanced whiskey right there that gives you floral and fruity and the barrel spice and the, the caramel and cinnamon. So it's, it's really great to have that to work with. And so that's one of our foundational casks that we use, but we also use a lot of sherry casks from Spain. Mm. We have a really great recipe there where we use several different types. And uh, we also have a cuvee wine cask that I'm happy to talk about more if you're interested. Oh yeah. First, of course we are. Yeah. Um, well, we... that's exactly where I want to go. I'm a huge fan of, uh, of of all the finishings that are coming out, right? And it's if you're if if you're making whiskey, if you're barreling something, and you're not if you're not putting it in some different type of barrel these days, you're kind of left behind, right? I shouldn't say you're left behind. It, it everything is gravitating. Everybody's putting out a finished product these days, and and I really really like them. We'll talk about maybe some tasting notes in a minute on this thing, but uh, I think what we're drinking, you mentioned, so we've got a share. We got a bourbon cask, we got a sherry cask, and a cuvee cask. And then, and, and with, if, if I said this is your flagship offering, is that a fair statement? That's what we call it ourselves. So you're spot on. So in you know, with when when you decided on okay, so we're going to blend a single malt. How did you know what barrels you were going to go to? Was there a big decision process? Did you already have something kind of dialed in, or what did that look like for you? Yeah, we had that mentorship from from Jim Swan, who really knew maturation climates, and he worked with Cavalon in Taiwan, the Cotswolds Distillery in England. He had a long history in Scotland, of course. Before that, uh, he ended up at Milk and Honey in Tel Aviv. Like he he knew different environments to age whiskey, and he had great connections with cooperages in both Spain and Portugal. 
And so he wrote this recommendation of all the different casks to use. And out of that, we selected the ones that really did make sense. And so um, he had a lot of different Spanish oak suggestions and, and theory. And we selected a lot to, to bring in, and we are aging in those. But we focused primarily on Fino, Oloroso, and PX. And if you're fans of, say, the Macallan, you know a sherry-aged single malt. Sure. That's kind of the standard. Um, but typically, you never see more than PX or Oloroso sherry casks being used to age scotch whiskeys. And so being an American single malt, we wanted to be a little more playful. And so the recommendation from Dr. Swana Vino, he told us, don't worry, it's going to be a late bloomer. And he was right, because I remember checking on those casks in the first two, three years and just getting some nice tropical fruit notes and going, well, this is good but it'll just need to be a component. It needs to be blended in or batted in and, and worked through to, to add a bit of the melody. Um, and then something happens about two years ago where I started to get this gorgeous nutty thing coming through. And now I think of some of this cask as the Honey Nut Cheerios casks. They're so gorgeous and balanced and complex. So learning to play the long game has been really interesting with our casks. And it's nice to have a lot of great ingredients to work with. Yeah, patience, right? It's, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to wait to drink it. I want to drink it now. But, I, you know, I, I can definitely, like, I'm getting this this bubblegum kind of note on the front. I mean, it's almost kind of a bubblegum ice cream and then followed with vanilla. I, uh, I get a little vanilla. I'm getting a ton of pineapple out of this when you mentioned citrus or tro it's tropical fruit, I should say. Mm -hmm. uh, total, Totally pineapple, some coconut or toasted coconut on this one. Yeah, just a really, really beautiful whiskey. You got Thank you. A lot of the notes that you, you called out were notes that were developed in fermentation. So through that three-day process where the yeast is gobbling up the sugar, um, a lot of the esters created have those aromas. And I like to walk through those uh, areas of our distillery, smelling the, the fermentation in tanks. And I get a lot of banana nut bread and things. Mm. But um, mm. isoamyl acetate is what gives you that bubblegum note. And it can be compared to like bubblegum banana. And what I've learned is there are a couple single malts in it that have a lot of it. My goal was, yes, I really like this and I think it's fun, but I don't want it to dominate. So I want it to come in, make its little statement, and then move on to the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And it keeps unfolding and it gets reach richer and darker and more robust as you go down the rabbit hole. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. And totally getting that as it kind of finishes off. Right. I mean, the, the, uh, I think that the malted barley really shines through the back of the palate and the finish on this. I mean, that's when you, that's when it re reminds you that you're drinking a, a re remind, re remind you again, that you're drinking a single malt, uh, whiskey, but yeah, just uh, a re really beautiful expression here. So if, if I can, if I'm if I'm new to the single malt world, right, and you mentioned Macallan, and we could go down the roads of, of many other scotches, and I'm thinking, hey, I'm a you know I'm a traditionalist, right, and I'm, I'm a Scotch drinker, and that's kind of what I do. What's different about Virginia distilling single malt versus something that I might pick up, uh, you know, off the shelf that was made overseas? Mm. Well, just like in any type of whiskey, you know, it's a big umbrella, and every country has its own take, but. Um, there are so many chocolates that fall under that umbrella. And with Scotch whiskey in particular, I think a lot of people connect that to single malt. When they hear single malt, it's almost a synonymous thing. And that's not true. I mean, Johnny Walker, Dewar's Famous Grouse, those are blended Scotches. Sure. And they're some of the most famous. So taken aside, um, just like in Scotland, there are regions. You really get a sense of place, and it could be what you expect from an Isla, you know, it's probably going to be peated. Not necessarily. Uh, there are always exceptions and there are some other non Isla whiskeys that are peated, but there are these characteristics that come in and pop up. And uh, there are even some American single malts making peated products, which is really fun. Um, but I think the big differentiation is one, I've already talked about the climate Two, you got the, the barrel profile, but three, all the ingredients in the man hours and how we, we approach making whiskey. So, for example, um, the malts. We love to roast spring barley. We're very dedicated to that. So it's kind of that idea of quality over quantity. Two rows better than six row. And the fact that it's, you know, higher quality yields versus a lot. Um, and then the same thing with the yeast. We use two different types of yeast. One is this workhorse that does the job of converting everything over. You need those enzymes to eat up the sugar and make alcohol. But also we have one yeast strain that is just there for the flavor. We like what it contributes to the whiskey. And we think that, you know, that extra complexity really makes a difference. Mm -hmm. um, the, the speed and the temperature of how we ferment. And of course we use double, double copper pot stills. So, 
the speed of our distillation. Everything really makes an impact there. And, and then, of course, the barrel recipe that we use and the way we reduce the, the whiskey with the water addition to get it to 92 proof. A lot of whiskeys you'll have are... 40% ABV or just 80 proof. We like to keep ours up to 92 proof uh, for a couple reasons. I like having that room if people want to do a water addition or have it on the rocks. So all of that makes our profile different. And um, it's really fun to, as you said earlier, have American single malt becoming a recognized category because there are so many diverse areas of the United States. We would make a totally different whiskey if we were on the West Coast, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. It's um, so you, you mentioned... Um, uh, you were talking about the, uh, you know, your mash bills, et cetera. But uh, in, and I've been looking online. I haven't had a chance to visit yet. Looking forward to it. Looks like you've got an absolutely beautiful facility there. Mm-hmm. Love to give you a uh, tour. Yeah, Dan too. <laughs> and uh, so this, uh, so talk about your um, your mill. I think there's some maybe something unique <laughs> about the the mill that uh, that's noteworthy. Yeah, this is a Chiroboby mill. So the uh, these mills were made. This one is over 100 years old. It just celebrated its uh, 101st birthday, I believe. It was made in England for a brewery in Edinburgh. And uh, these mills were made so well that you wouldn't even need to replace a part, much less buy a new one. And so the breweries and distilleries that use them would often go out of business and you could get them cheaper on the auction block. And so they made themselves such a great product, they went out of business. Uh, I think they declared bankruptcy in the late 60s. And so we were really fortunate to have uh, access to buying one of these. We refurbished it a little. We put new belts on it and painted it fire engine red, which is gorgeous. Uh, It's a two-row mill. So the way it works is the barley is dropped through the top in the hopper, and it's caught on a set of rollers where it's cracked. It falls to a second set of rollers where it's crushed a little finer, and we have our own ratio so we can determine how fine or how coarse the barley is. So for us... We want 70% of the, the grist to be middles, 20% to be husks, and only 10% flour. Uh, if you have more flour, it can become all gluey and not fun to work with in the mash tun. So um, it's just really great to have that level of flexibility and high quality. And it's a really romantic piece of equipment to have in the distillery, and uh, it's quite the workhorse. Nice. Yeah. So is, is that typical in American single malts that folks are milling their own barley, toasting their own barley? They're, they're, they're going for So, and I know you're sourcing, right? I think from the Midwest, the, the actual grain itself. North to Midwest. Yeah. We've grown a little yeah. bit of our own, but the nitrogen levels in Virginia soil are crazy high. So we work with a series of farmers, 250 plus farmers all through the wow. north midwest wow. the lower reaches of canada and it's so smart to do that because one we're not really farmers so at least i'm not <laughs> and uh, it's great to have that expertise and to work with you know such great farmers who are so passionate and have generations of knowledge um and then also in the world we're in sometimes there are real supply issues and having such a great network is really taking care of us so mm-hmm. yeah. yeah yeah but are you milling everything in-house mm-hmm yeah, and uh, again, I, I mean, maybe I missed it, but is that typical that's happening with most folks that are making single malt? I, I, the folks that we've, I think we've engaged with, I don't think I hear a lot that I, I think they're sourcing a lot of kind of ready-made, kind of ready to go. You know, you're bringing it in, and it's ready to go straight into, uh, straight into a mash versus kind of getting the raw grain and then working it through the process. Yeah, it's more rare to malt it yourself. Uh, even in Scotland, there are malt houses that take care of it for the most part. I mean, if you get something like your own by Diageo, you know it's taken care of. It's sure. They've got their, their network. So, yeah, there are a handful of distilleries that are making single malt that do the whole process from malting on. Um, we have a really fun relationship with a couple malters, uh, including Murphy and Rube right here in Charlottesville. So I've gotten to tour and, and work with them a little bit, and they're fantastic. So we're very lucky to have expertise in that level too um if we were looking for something like a peated malt then it's nice to have something like that in your back pocket of course but mm, sure yeah no we we're a little bit different than you would see at a lot of uh, the distilleries in the united states because we don't do a sour mash we have what you would see in the old world this mash tun so after it's been milled the grist goes into the mash tun where the hot, hot water comes in and it extracts the sugar so that sugary water is wort and it's what's drained out and goes to the fermentation tanks where we pitch the yeast. And that spent grain, because it's you know completely safe, it's not alcoholic or anything yet, uh, we give it to a local dairy farm, Early Dawn Dairy in Crozet, Virginia. And so it's free cattle feed, and it's a really uh, good symbiotic relationship there. 
Cool. Yeah. You just need somebody to come pick it up, right? Yeah, they have two trucks, so they always leave one, and then they trade it for the new one. So it's nice and smooth for them. Perfect. Yeah, I think I have uh, something in here. So so what's the story? I mean, I looked at this, and I said, well, they've sent us a ball marker <laughs> yeah, for golf. I, I don't I don't I don't know if that was the intent, but is it was that the intent to be a ball marker? Not originally. It was kind of a we wanted to have something fun and we have an incredible brands and marketing team who really get passionate about all the little details. And we call this the Superman bottle. Um and yeah, we have collectible medallions for all of the the Courage and Conviction releases. So there's a green one for the bourbon cask, um, the red one for the sherry cask, and the purple one is for the cuvee cask. So Cool. Yeah, and then uh, nice. eventually we're going to do single cast releases that um, are going to be cast strings from a single barrel, and we'll have the uh, the barrel number right there on them. So, so I, I, I was head, I was heading there eventually, right? In in the sense of uh, you know the other rave of the day is uh, our barrel picks. Yeah. So is, is that uh, are you um, is Virginia distilling mature enough and where you need to be from a product distribution standpoint that that you can or you're already doing barrel picks or are is that in the in the future? Yeah, I literally just came from uh, the cast houses today. This afternoon uh, I was doing picks for uh, an account in uh, Carolina. So, oh, nice. yeah, it's it's one of my favorite things to do because I think. I love blending. I love uh, the the art of that, the ability to achieve consistency from batch to batch, but always strive to make it better. But being able to find incredible honey barrels that just really showcase this whiskey and the way the blenders experience it, that's a really fun experience. So being able to have this at cast strength, know it's going to perform beautifully and really showcase something unique. I, I get so excited every time. It never gets old. Yeah. And how long have y'all been doing that as far as from a barrel pick standpoint? Has that been going on for some time or is it kind of recent with everything that's happened in you know the past 18 months or so? Or Yeah, we started out with something called cask selections, and that would be special for accounts where we would do finishing. Uh, but with Courage and Conviction, our single malt, we're 100% focused on maturation only, so no finishing. And so uh, we've just now launched that. And so the first big releases that you're going to start seeing from us with the single cask would be the Cuvée uh, cask. And okay. uh, we call those STR in the industry, and they're probably my favorite barrel to work with. So that's exciting. Very cool. Yeah. The, the Cuvée is your favorite? Yes. What's uh, what like what's what, what's it do for you? Yeah. yeah so in their first life, these barrels were in Spain or Portugal. They held a premium red wine blend, and uh, what happens is when the wine, the fortified wine, has been taken out, they shave the inside of the staves, just like three to five millimeters, and then toast with indirect heat, do a low slow char, and then we take them out of the whiskey. So because that process is kind of reawakened. The, the wood itself, the shaving doesn't go as deep as the Fort wine had made its way through the staves. So there's still going to be some gorgeous red fruit notes. Um, if you were nosing the, the flagship of Courage and Conviction, you might have gotten some red fruit notes like hmm. cherry, raspberry, or maybe some toasted pecan chocolate. I credit those cuvee casks with those notes. And roughly 25% of the whiskey that we've been selecting for our flagship release of Courage and Conviction are those STR or cuvee casks. Sure, sure. And and are you looking for some similarities in, I mean, I guess it, I don't know if you, you can look for them, right? And you don't know what you're going to find necessarily. I mean, the barrels are going to give you what they give you. That's true. Sure. Yeah, we have expectations. Uh-oh. And, and are you find, uh-oh. Yeah, we got you back. Um, yeah, I don't know. We yeah, I lost you for a minute. We're good now. So is, are the expectations, uh, is it staying on a on the plane that you want it to stay on so far? And or are there slight changes that you can see that it's maybe uh, it's it's adjusted your expectations that, well, it can be better than what it was? Or, or, you know, there's more pronounced, like, you know, you're getting more flavors or certain profiles that you didn't think you were going to get. Yeah, I actually created a flavor wheel uh, two years ago with my expected flavors from each of the different types. And largely, 
those expectations were met. I've had some fun surprises though. And talking about the cuvee casks in particular, one of my favorite things is I can find chocolate in every single one of those casks, <laughs> but what type of chocolate it is totally varies from some barrels. It's like a sweet Tootsie roll. Others it's dry coca to mocha. Um, it's just fascinating to me. And I credit sometimes the location of where the barrel is, um, how old the whiskey inside it is, uh, the humidity pockets around all these things can be contributing factors, but it's really fascinating to me. Same with the citrus notes. I always get some citrus. It's typically orange. It can be blood orange, tangerine, like there's something, but sometimes it's like a pithy orange, um, more like a citrus sure. peel. And occasionally it goes into like lemon zest. You're like, well, here we uh, go. <laughs> so I've learned. Hey, I'll, I'll take, I'll, I'll take all those. Yeah. Right. It's all good, which is a fabulous thing. Um, my, my personal mentor, Nancy Fraley is this nosing expert. And she had this grading idea of A, B, and C where C are the foundational flavors you expect. B is a little bit more of the, the nuance. And then A is something really unique and different. And I took her idea and kind of riffed on it and added in numbers for readiness. So a three, it's just, you know, starting to develop. Two, it's, it's coming along nicely and actually can show these gorgeous flavors already. And then one is like, it's prime ready to be picked. And then we added other nuances like pluses and minuses and things. And I really enjoyed creating that profile. So every single week, uh, I've been the cast house grading different palettes and areas of the barrels and saying yes this is what is expected um you get a lot of b's which are performing well um but i always find a's always find c's and it's just nice to, to have such a great uh selection to work with the first cask house that i mentioned earlier that was the dunnage style could only hold 500 casks so now we're up to 5,500 roughly in, hmm. in the cask house one uh, up on the hill and didn't yeah. take long to outgrow that one, right? Yeah, and Cascas 2 is filling up fast. So it's it's a great thing to have that many barrels to work with. But yeah, we, uh, we're we selling fast too. So that means I'm emptying and pulling down. Yeah, it's a good thing. Uh, you mentioned chocolate. And, you know, sometimes I don't, you know, and, and I, I, I mentioned earlier as I was tasting and I was definitely, you know, getting that, uh, that barley on, on the finish on this one. And, you know, as soon as you said chocolate, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's like dark cocoa powder for me on this one. Like that's, you know, so if I'm thinking like a, a dark chocolate uh, dipped pineapple. I mean, that's pr I'm pretty much drinking that right now. Yeah. <laughs> in, in a good way. Sprinkle with like uh, some, you know, some some scorched coconut chips. So. <laughs> One of my favorite things to, to be inspired by is food. So often when I'm up in the cow's house, I'm thinking, you know, what would I pair this with? How would this deal with, you know, smoked meat, cheese, um, chocolate? Really good. Really yeah, good. Really yeah. well. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Where's the, give me the charcuterie board. You're making me uh Dan, we may need to incorporate that on, uh, on future shows, a charcuterie board. Absolutely. Apparently chocolate Just, and citrus too. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Hey, this is Brad Bowman, former investigative reporter featured on the Heist documentary here with Birdies and Bourbon. Sit back and enjoy the ride. Uh, so what's uh, so uh, what other expressions do you have? Uh, first off, where can people find Virginia Distilling if I if I want to buy it? Where do I buy it at? We have a really fun whiskey locator on our website, vadistillery.com. So you can just hit the find whiskey and put in your zip code and you'll find stores wherever you are, um, which is really nice. If for some reason you're in a state that doesn't have a liquor store with our product, we can ship to 40 plus states too. Oh, wow. There's a... Um, uh, partnership we have with Mash and Grape. They're an online distributor. Yep. So um, since they can do the online retail, they can ship for us. And that's been really great to be able to, to share whiskey all over. So we're, we're in 40 plus states. That's a lot. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. And so what's happening with the, uh, are the limited offerings, are they happening already? Are you getting, you're going into the limited offerings or you're expanding limited offerings? What's that looking like? So under the courage and conviction line, we now have the three cast types 
individually bottled. And we plan to keep those constantly available along with flagships. So you can have a little glimpse behind me um, with uh, the three different barrel types along with flagships. So those should always be available. And um, we also have another line that is our American blended malts. And so when we were getting started, this was kind of our way to tell our story in a bottle. And so we brought over whiskey that had been distilling and aging in Scotland, and we added our own whiskey that had been distilling and aging here in Virginia, and we finished in local port style wine barrels and then true port barrels from Portugal. And that's a really fun thing to do. Uh, We've won World Whiskey Awards Best in Category every year that we've had this out. Uh, So six years, I guess, uh, counting on six years. And we also do a cider cask finish with that. So um, that was... Well, let's see, Whiskey Advocate ranked it in their top 20 whiskeys of 2018, and it sells out a lot, so that's a little bit more seasonal, but we should have that available in a lot of a lot of states. And then for our more adventurous new projects, we're really excited to showcase that cuvee cast that has been shaved, toasted, recharred, and so we're going to be releasing this fall several different barrels at cast strength. And so there'll be single cask, really great way to get to know that. And then every year we're planning to showcase single cask with a different style of uh, our barrels. So you'll have different sherry options and, of course, that former bourbon cask option too down the road. So you've tasted the cask drinks. I, I haven't had an opportunity to yet. What is that? What's that pulling kind of from, you know, from the from the barrel? Like, what, what are you getting at that cask strength? I mean, if you if you had to say, oh, well, it's it's kind of. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's really shining a light on the nose or it's on the palate or it's a finish or it's, it's making it, um, you know, it, it's giving you a little more, um, uh, balanced flavor, right. Across the, across the drink in its entirety. I mean, how would you describe what that's doing to your, your bottle? In a word, having a cast drink versus something that bottle proof it's robust, So you're going to have something that's a little more assertive. And my goal is to make sure that it's not aggressive, that it is something that is still balanced. Having the ability to select and blend barrels allows me to kind of finesse everything together and make sure that it really is balanced. So that's why these have to be honey barrels. So you mentioned palate. That's a huge thing. I want it to have a really nice mouthfeel. I don't want anything watery or angular. I want it to be creamy or oily, something smooth and kind of viscous that I know is going to be chewy and and delightful to to sip on. And I want something that's going to have an interesting, playful nose. And I think the number one question that people ask me is, how do you know what makes a good whiskey? And I look for something that's complex. Mm. And so one of my favorite things to do is to have a dram of whiskey and take an hour or so with it and let it really open up. And so when you have something at cast strength, it's even more of a mystery because you get to play with it. Uh, in Scotland, they call it releasing the serpent when you add some water. They expect to do that. And I, I love doing that with cast strength. I love doing it at my pace, making sure that I really get to know all the ins and outs. And I probably look like an idiot sometimes, but I'll walk around with an empty glass, just nosing it because there's still that fondue vera that, sure. that rises out of it. And I still will get, okay, yeah, there's the blood orange chocolate. There's the, you know, and it's just so fun to have that. And of course you want a good long finish that sticks with you. There's nothing more disappointing than sipping a whiskey and then immediately forgetting what it was that you had. So I want something like for our, our flagship of courage and conviction, I get a lot of ginger on the finish. It's kind of that happiness that comes at Christmas time, just all year round. Uh, so that's something I'm looking for. And I think that cast strength is a, a great way to for that. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. This is, yeah. Speaking of that kind of chocolatey ginger that, uh, that, that this is, uh, this is giving yeah, for sure. Hey, Cal, not too much binging that game she's talking about, you know, it's not like a video game. Can't go all night with mm. it. <laughs> hey, you never know. You never know. Uh, so what's, um, uh, everything's open, uh, Virginia distilling open for tours, open for tastings. Uh, I just saw you were doing virtual tastings. I got to get on some of those, I guess at some point. So, yeah, well, we are currently under construction. We, with everything happening over COVID, we took the opportunity to, I mentioned, we turned our, uh, Dunnishaw cask house into a bottling house. Uh, the next thing that I've been asking for for years was to have a batting house. And so our fabulous CEO, Gareth, gave us the, the blessing on that. And so we broke ground a few months ago and are hoping to move in next month 
So it's right behind where our visitor center is. So we have been under construction for several months now, but to have all that space for vatting and preparing all the different whiskeys, I'm just super excited. And then after that, yes, the plan is to reopen for tours and tastings. So we're able to do some, you know, on sites for special events and things, but for the most part, we've just been focusing on, on getting everything ready. Very cool. Yeah. And it's so today, so you're not bottling on site today. Oh yes. Yeah. No, we you, we no, bottle you, every yeah. day. We've been yeah. bottling Monday through Friday, uh, pretty much all year. <laughs> so it's not a holiday there. There's a team bottling. And today we've been bottling, um, the forecast finish batch oh, sweet. 16. Isn't that crazy? We are on batch 16 of the forecast wow, finish. That's cool. Yeah. yeah. So that's where I was this morning and part of the afternoon. <laughs> So in addition to education, you're also into bottling, I hear. Well, so uh, our CEO, Gareth, asked if I would be uh, responsible for QC. So uh, that means, of course, liquid QC, making sure everything <laughs> tastes and the proper ABV, but then it also means inspection. So I have a whole team. Our corporate team is incredible. The brand team, they are on a roster. So whenever I get new people, I train them on how to, to QC. But to keep myself fresh, I want to learn to do every single part of the entire process. So that means... Today, for about 15 minutes, I ran the rinser filler, and uh, then Dustin Caster, who's our distillery manager, gave me a tutorial on uh, these new batch stickers. So, I mean, that's I always want to be learning and growing, and that way, if somebody's out, I can help. And uh, so, that was my day. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, yeah, well, it sounds better than mine, I can tell you that. So, uh, up, up until this point. Up until this point. Yeah. Well, I'm not afraid to, you know, we can get into that, but yeah, beautiful. Uh, you know, the, the packaging on it. I love it. I love the, uh, the courage and conviction with the, the, you know, the name, um, and, and the story behind that and where it came from. Um, the Dr. Jim Swan batch is what we're sampling. Uh, are there any, where, where are you going with the names going forward? If you can share kind of not, maybe that's, you don't want to release any of that yet, but I can give you a little sneak peek. Yeah, yeah sure. So when we started, we did batch numbers, and that's what we're sticking to for the VHW American Blended Malt line. But when it came time to do Courage and Conviction, which was named after our founder, Dr. George Moore, uh, and he had a saying for every occasion, but that was just one of his favorites. And he didn't invent it, but it just felt really appropriate. And he loved it. We loved it. So we named batch one after him. And uh, batch two after Dr. Jim Swan, because he was so... Uh, important and influential for us, especially with the STR cast types and the maturation climate. He passed away uh, in 2017. So it's a beautiful legacy to leave behind. And uh, so we want to do him proud and, and George Moore as well. Batch three was named after my mentor, Nancy Fraley. And uh, batch four will be named after one of our other mentors, Harry Coburn. And Harry, love of my life. I think he's 84 now. Um, <laughs> he started out as the engineer at Bomar. So he spent oh, wow. decades in the industry, was incredibly influential. And he came on site when we were putting the equipment in. So he is an incredible engineer. I think he's retired three times, maybe four. Uh, but he just loves, loves the whiskey world so much. Um, he has friends and has given advice to distilleries from England to New Zealand. And he is never too tired or uh, busy to respond to the craziest emails I'll send him with the most bizarre questions. And so, yes, batch four of Courage and Conviction will be named in his honor. Nice. 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 I, I got a couple more questions for you and a couple of the directions. We'll go. I know we got to let you go uh, in a minute, but Dan, what do you think? Are you, I think uh, it's you great juice. I was surprised uh, uh, of the complexity of it. Cause you were not, you're mentioning that. And as it opens up, as we've been talking for the last, you know, little bit here, I can, I can, I can see how you, you're, you're intrigued by that and what's uh, uh, it was surprising to me. So that's, it's, it's very cool to, to see that. And I'm, I'm loving the experience. Thank you for coming on. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, I mean, I just took another sip while you were talking. And I just got this huge, like, butterscotch pop in the back yes. of my mouth some way. I, I, I didn't get that before at all, but I just got it. So I've got to have another little. Here we go. Well, I'm just saying. Here like, comes the I don't gamer. Know, I, I don't know where that came from. So I, I got to figure out. Uh, I got to figure out where He's that gotta was from. got to get to the next level now. I just got to figure out where that butterscotch pop came from. And I didn't get that before. But I, again, I think as you were mentioning, I mean, it's sitting, I'm kind of getting, you know, getting more air in there. I mean, I really mm -hmm. think that the, it's starting to you know, kind of meld together and uh, to build on 
build on its uh, on its different. So, flavors. what is your favorite way to to drink this? I know you said you like to like you know long like you know couple hours let it open <laughs> up and everything. But like, what are you pairing? Are you pairing with chocolate? What are you What are you doing with it? What's your favorite way to drink it? Uh, I'm such a neat sipper, so yes, occasionally I remember to put water in, but for the most part, I like it neat, and uh, I I like cocktails. Don't get me wrong, but that's going to be the the BHW, not okay. the purging gotcha. conviction. Mm-hmm. I don't want to mask any of the flavors. Yes, charcuterie. Um, I love to do baked brie, and I'll drizzle honey on top, and then I'll do Granny Smith apples and maybe some candied walnuts or pecans on the side. Um, I just love playing with all those flavors and textures. I think that's great. My favorite way, if I'm honest, is sitting outside by the lake with my dog. Um, yeah, nice. I just had, he's really my brother's dog, Milo. He's gorgeous, <laughs> long-haired dachshund. So yeah, that was that was my evening. <laughs> Perfect, that sounds great. Nice. <laughs> uh, whiskey Lake, life sounds, is good. Sounds enjoyable to me. Yes. Uh, so you mentioned a couple of names and some folks that were influential, you know, in, in the Scotch world, and and they had a big impact on the distillery. So what's the um, what's uh, what, what's their uh, what's their temperature when it comes to hey, we want you to come over to the U.S. and we want you to help us with uh, not help you make. Get right, but it's it's a consultation type approach. I'm I'm imagining, and it's like we we want your expertise on making single malt whiskey in the U.S. What what's that? How's that relationship? What's it look like? Is there any uh, you know like hey wait a minute what are you doing? Why are you touching you know kind of what we're known for? Well, I expected that a little bit, but I found the opposite with with Harry Coburn in particular. I think there's this passion and enthusiasm, and delight and in some ways the united states is this great frontier in in single malt because it hasn't really developed yet there's so much scope when i think about the you know the regions of scotland it's just such a small country i love it very much i'm always excited to be over there and and exploring but geographically it's just a fraction of the size of the u.s and we have so much more to offer in range from not just temperature and climate but i mean looking at the the styles and the techniques too so there's a lot more room or scope for the imagination when it comes to single malt here and that's something that i, I heard directly from harry and that was exciting <laughs> with jim swan i sadly didn't have as many times directly working with him um but i remember him saying he seemed to like a challenge and he compared our climate to the climate in Taiwan when he was there working with Cavalon. And so I think for him, it was exciting because um, for one, there's just not a whole lot of adventure when it comes to maturation in Scotland. I would I would listen to stories and the biggest ones would be like, well, we had a little bit of flooding one year back in 1982. <laughs> It's just not the same at all. And so the scope for the barley we can source, um, the environment we can use, everything is just uh, a bit more exciting for them. And that's that kind of was in their attitude from the get-go. And then, of course, Nancy's based in Berkeley, California, but she trained in cognac. So I think for her, I think there's a lot of passing on the expertise, but being innovative. And that's our motto, too, like the best of the old world meeting the best of the new. And so hopefully we're we're living up to all of their expectations. Uh, I, yeah, I, I approve. I, I can't find anything, any reason that I wouldn't drink this on a regular basis yet. So yeah, really, uh, really nice stuff. So if you're not drinking, um, Virginia distilling whiskey, whiskeys, uh, what are you drinking? What's, uh, what's in a, what's in Amanda's glass? I like a lot of Japanese whiskey. Yamazaki 12 has been a constant companion of mine for years. Um, I definitely gravitate towards that whenever I can. Um, I like a black Manhattan very much. Sazerac's hit the spot. Um, Yeah. And I'm a tea fanatic too. So I love a good Earl Grey or Jasmine tea. Yeah. Nice. Uh, yeah, I'm getting that butterscotch note again. I just had oh. to stop and kind of chew on that for a second. That's and it, yeah, it's just this great oily. Cal, that's one thing you got to brush up on is your black Manhattan recipe. 
I do need to do that. Well, so do you make do you make a good black Manhattan, Amanda? I've been told I do. <laughs> well, well, yeah. well do, do tell if, if you can. It started with the fact that oh, this is a bad confession, but I'm not a huge vermouth fan. If it's a semi-sweet or something, I'm okay oh. with it, but I just don't really love vermouth that much. Um, I'd rather be in Italy and have a little bit by itself than sure. use it. And so that kind of pushed me towards playing with the Vernamaro and then Amaro Montenegro. So I just, there's something more balanced there to me that really plays off well. So I can send you after this call if you want, I'll send you my recipe. Um, Ooh, perfect. So yeah. I also like Boulevardiers because they're so simple and clean and just like, yeah. But mm. Black Manhattans, man, they never make me have any regrets. <laughs> That's great. That's great advice. Yeah, I'm thinking like some walnut bitters on there, kind of. There you go. Mm. I do like old fashioned. I can already see what I'm going to be. Yeah, I'm with you. I I don't know why I would mix this with something, but I I mean, I could see this kind of going into a riff on a black Manhattan and coming off quite well. If I was going to do this, the flagship of Courage and Conviction, I would do it in an old fashioned and I would do something like chocolate bitters, brown sugar, simple syrup, and keep it real, real simple. Maybe orange bitters, um, but really streamlined. I have a friend who's a chef, and he does it in a highball, and he won't even use ice. He'll stick it in the freezer for two minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Really? Yeah. (laughs) He told me that. I was like, no, that's good. I'll do that. (laughs) I think it was was a good call, for sure. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, I I, got to try that. That uh, That sounds pretty good. Um, so where can people, so we, we, we can find you online, uh, mash and grape, uh, did a great job. Everything arrived on time and as expected. So I can vouch for that, that it works uh, extremely well. Uh, is there a plan on when Virginia distilling is going to open back up and we're going to have folks there is what, what's the timeline looking like? Probably late summer. And okay. yeah, we'll update our website, viadistillery.com. And then if people want to get really geeky, we made a website for all the different batches that we've been releasing. So they can go to batch.info. It's B-A-T-C-H dot I-N-F-O. And they can just see how many barrels were selected for each batch, how long the whiskey was in the barrel, temperature trends. I mean, we're super geeky about whiskey, so I know that's not interesting to everybody, but if they want to. <laughs> uh, and then what's the process look like for if somebody wanted to do a, a barrel pick with yeah. What's uh, which web? Where am I going to do that, and how am I getting set up for that? Yeah, if they are an account like a liquor store, they can just email us or hit us up on Facebook. Um, if they just say, "Hey, this is for Amanda," in Facebook Messenger, I'll hook them up with the right people, or they'll grab me. Uh, for if they just want to buy a part of a barrel or their own barrel, there is a place on our website, it's just, uh, Cask Ownership Programs, I believe. So we have something called Cask Society, and we have some really cool people who purchase their own barrels and it's been really fun. It's kind of like a choose your own adventure. So they're able to pick what type of barrel, how long the whiskey ages, all that stuff. So it's, yeah, nice. it's a really unique thing to, to be able to do. And I love it. Very cool. So people come into the distillery and Cal, Cal knows where I'm going. Uh, give us like plan a day out. Right. So if we're not from the area, we're going to, we're definitely going to come there. We're going to, we're going to see the facility. We're going to sample, we're going to do all that kind of stuff. But what's a diamond in the rough around there that you're going to send us to? It's a, you know, the, the local hole in the wall that only locals know about that we need to go see and eat at or whatever when we're in town. Nice. So if they're coming from Charlottesville, there's a place called Dr. Ho's and they do incredible pizza. So good. Uh, there are some beautiful wineries, breweries, cideries, uh, Ragged Branch distilleries on the way. They do some really cool stuff with rye. Um, I would say the biggest gem, though, is hiking. There oh. are some incredible, incredible hikes near us. And so Spy Rock is probably, I don't want anybody to hate me for giving it away, but it's pretty close to us, and it's a great, great hike. Um, yeah. If they're going to the Crabtree Falls, it's not too far from there but not as many people know about Sparrow as uh, they do. Probably. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. See, Cal, you can take Dixie up there and do some hiking. You have a dog? Uh, I, Cal does, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I got a little boykin. Yeah. Little boykin spaniel. Oh, she's so sweet. All right, you guys have to come and bring the dog. Uh, <laughs> bring the dog. Yeah, well, yeah, I'm thinking we'll, uh, we need to do something on site, you know, we'll just do a show Absolutely. live there. And, uh, I'll set us in. up in the cask house. Yeah, I was about to say, get into some of those barrels. I mean, I, you're, I you're, you're making me jealous. Samples. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're making me jealous. It's like you're talk, bragging about this job you got. And I did say bragging. I did say bragging, but uh, I, I don't blame you, right? I mean, it's uh, you got to you got to have a lot of um, 
you ha- you have to be very responsible, but also you're uh, having a good time. So I, yeah, I don't no, know how you can get away think from about it. it. But my palate is best in the morning. So that means that, you know, sometimes 6, 7 a.m. I've been doing whiskey pulls before that. So that means that, you know, I have to get up before a.m. to get to work and do this. And so it sounds glamorous, but I will tell you at 530 in the morning, sometimes I, I just, you know, think, really? <laughs> oh, that seems like a pain. Mm. No regrets, though. <laughs> hey, the, the Open's coming up. The Open's coming up, which means that, you know, you can do that and you can watch Golf Cal and you can sample in the morning. I, and, you know, I sampling in the morning. Yeah. The best of all like, worlds. Uh, yeah. Little, little whiskey, whiskey and golf in, in the morning. Uh, Amanda, what did we miss about Virginia distilling? Uh, again, this is absolutely fantastic. We're drinking uh, batch number two, which is Dr. Jim Swan batch. Uh, I, I would highly recommend, uh, picking up a bottle. I don't, is, uh, any of the batch one still left on the shelf, you think, or? To my knowledge, it sold out really quickly, but if you still see out. a batch, George Moore, you should grab it. They're all really good. Um, yeah. I guess I didn't talk about this, but I often, uh, to, to maintain consistency, we always hold back a little bit of the prior batch use kind of as a base to blend into the future one. So even though you're drinking batch two, there is a little bit of batch one in there. Okay, we got a little infinity uh, bottle kind exactly. of going on here. Yeah, nice, yep. nice. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, beautiful stuff you're doing there. I love this. I could, uh, I could work through uh, a lot of this bottle and probably will not tonight, but you know, over over the course of time, I, I'm, uh, I'd like to sit down and kind of do because uh, I haven't. I usually don't taste until I get on with you. I, you, I sent Dan some, so that's why there's already so much gone. But uh, yeah, I'd like, I can't wait for this to breathe a little bit, get some air, and then kind of sit down with it and open it up. And as you mentioned, you know, what else comes about on this one? I, I think it's uh, I think it's going to continue to. Uh, to evolve and and start to, uh, I, I think there's going to be new taste almost every time we revisit. Same taste, but I think you're going to be able to pick up on some different nuances that come out of it. So, yeah, Absolutely. really, really, really nice. Yep. Uh, Amanda, what else? Uh, what can you leave us with? I would just say, uh, I think for a long time, Scotch and bourbon have been the comfort blankets. So, shout out to you guys for sharing the American single malt love. It's a fun, fun world to get into and to, to share something really unique. So, yeah, American Single Malt, it's coming. There you go. I agree. Look out on it. Hey, it'll be on a shelf near you soon. Cheers. 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 Cheers.